Welcome to Rebel and Create's Fatherhood Field Notes podcast, where we hear real stories from real men living real lives. I'm your guide, Ned Shout. Fatherhood is not only about being a dad. It incorporates providing and serving a home, loving and serving a spouse, engaging and serving in a community, as well as intentionally serving your kiddos. Fatherhood is an adventure, one full of fun, wild, and messy stories. In this podcast, we will hear stories from real men who have found themselves living the adventure of fatherhood. I'm super excited to introduce you to my friend Craig. As I listened back and thought about our conversation, what I really value and appreciate is this guy loves people. I feel like he uh, really takes life and the love of people serious, while at the same time, not taking himself too serious and realizing that everybody's got mess in their life, even him, and he's willing to be open and vulnerable about that because it helps him to be relatable um, to others. The other thing is he is teachable and still has a growth mindset at 50 years old. I think so many of us men get stuck in our ways thinking that we've kind of got life figured out or this is how I always do things. And Craig shares some things in life about uh, being spontaneous and not always kind of sticking with your normal routine. So I'm excited for you to get into this and gain some wisdom around fatherhood, marriage, masculinity, and life. So enjoy this conversation. And as always, if you find value in this, please share it with a friend. Fatherhood matters, and we all have to pitch in and share and spread the word that fatherhood is a big deal. All right, here we are. It's a beautiful Friday afternoon, and we are about to talk about fatherhood. I've got my good friend Craig sitting here in the office. How are you, Craig? I'm well. Thank you for coming in and talking about fatherhood with me. I know you have a lot to share, so. Excited to be here. Heck yeah. So I, I know we started talking a little bit before, but I'm like, you know what? We just got to hit record because there's just too much here. Let's just get into it. Because I know you, we've, we've known each other for, I mean, a year and had coffee together a couple times, but um, maybe I'm just always talking about myself. I don't know. Some of the stuff you were sharing, I didn't know about you. <laughs> Uh, so, so people get to know you a little bit better. How old are you? I am 50. 50? 50. 51 in April. Nice. And how many years have you been married? 28. Congratulations, man. That's so good. It's like, I tell people it's like the greatest gift you can give your kids and society really like showing that that's possible is a freaking gift. Absolutely. And how many kids do you guys have? We have eight adopted children, and we've had 30 foster children. Man. And, okay, so how long had you been married before you either started foster care or adopted first? We fostered. Uh, we had been married about a year and a half. We got licensed, and uh, the first week after we were licensed, we had three kids come to live with us. Wow. Now, did did you know this before you were going to get married, that your wife wanted, or was it like a mutual thing or what? Yeah, it wasn't mutual. I knew it was going to happen because my wife has three blood sisters and her mom and dad have had over 130 foster kids. So from the time my wife was three years old, they've always had foster kids in their house and adopted kids. So I knew that's something that she wanted, um, but we weren't on the same page about it. You weren't on the same page? No. Hmm. How come? Um, Probably mostly because of my selfishness of wanting to just have fun, be married, you know, do the married thing. And why did she want to do it? I mean, clearly she saw this growing up, but in my mind, I'm like, that sounds like chaos. 
but there was something she saw in that chaos that was beautiful, obviously. What was that? Yeah, they had a saying in their house, uh, and it's actually on a wall in a, on a plaque that says, there's always room for one more. Hmm. And so that thought has always lived right front and center with her, that uh, no kid should have to do without a place that be safe and be loved. And so, I mean, she would talk to me about it, and I just kind of put it off and put it off. But uh, after about the first or second class that we went to, it hit me. This is a this is an opportunity to change somebody's life, and I didn't realize it was going to be my life that was ultimately yeah. changed. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, having th- even thirty kids come through, that's that's gonna that's gonna cut some hard edges off of a man. Oh yeah. But, you know, horrible stories of abuse and neglect, and but uh, you know, there are quite a few foster kids that we've been able to mankind main contact with yeah. so that's been good nice well i can't wait i'm sure that'll come up some more in our conversation um as you have you know as you got into being a father and well started doing the foster care what has been some of the best resources to you you know at those first stages or just throughout <clears throat> your life what have, what have been good resources to you to best understand fatherhood you know i always look at the guy that uh his adult kids would come back and they would sit next to him, put their arms around him. And you would see this mutual affection because, you know, for a 30 or 40 year old guy or or girl to come back and, and love on their dad. And so I would ask questions and, um, you know, I, I learned so much from, from adult kids talking about who their dads were. And I had a great father. I mean, my dad's great man, loved me, uh, you know, amazing. Well, uh, but, to, to be able to to hear the stories that, you know, grown children would tell about their parents would be uh, pretty impactful. Hmm. Is there anything that sticks out to you as far as something that a parent or a father did that led to their adult child wanting a relationship with them? Um, you know, I talked to some people that traveled a lot, and this is actually something I incorporated into my life. They they took a child, if not maybe two of their children, a lot of times on business trips or places they would go and do stuff. And, uh, you know, I, that kind of fascinated me. Why would you do that? Because chance to get away from family. But, you know, they were so intentional about letting their kids see what they did mm. so they understood. And uh, so, you know, as I got into ministry and all, I would work out deals with places I go speak for them to let me bring a kid or two. Yeah. And so uh, that was, that was golden to me because it gave me time with, with kids in a whole different atmosphere. And what's funny too, is I think a lot of time when we have that mindset of like, I need to get away from the kids, which I agree. I think it is also healthy to, to have separation sometimes, but uh, it's different away from the home. Mm -hmm. Like when you're at home, there's a certain routine and stuff that happens when you step out your kid is going to act a bit different, just like you're going to act a bit different. So there's just this whole different dynamic. So that's that's good. Oh. That's good because I take some trips and I could probably figure out how to bring kids with me more often. Well, my wife encouraged me to to date our daughters. Mm. And I learned that from a lot of the men that were either, you know, uh, around the community where we lived or that went to church with us that, you know, they, they were regular daters of their daughters growing up. And, um, you know, it's not always a guarantee, but a lot of those daughters married men a lot like their dad that treated them like gold. That's uh, scary. uh, And so that was pretty cool. 
Yeah. And if you're listening, <laughs> that's something to pay attention to. However yeah. you treat your wife, yep. uh, that's how your daughter is going to expect to be treated. And, you know, how you treat your daughter, the time you spend with yeah. her. What's something you would do? Is there anything that uh, in dating any of your daughters that you were like, oh, man, it was just so special when we do X, Y, or Z? You know, like if they, if it was just one of them, uh, you know, we would have we would talk about just you know where they were, depending on what age they were. You know, particularly, um, you know, my second oldest daughter, she liked to go pretty much everywhere with me. And when she was fourteen, fifteen, you know, she would go and and we would you know, we'd talk about who she was going to be. And, mm. and uh, you know, she didn't listen to all that, but after she made her own bad choices, she she knew she could always come back. And she knew that we weren't going to, you know, reject her, that we were going to love her through whatever it was. And so I think a lot of that was those conversations and that travel of, you know, really knowing, you know, my wife and I's heart for her, for her siblings. Yeah. That we were going to be there. So it sounds like there's a lot of grace in your home. There is now. There is now. There is now. I mean, I, I didn't grow up in a grace atmosphere or a grace type church. I grew up in a justice system. Um, you know, if you, 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 you did wrong, you were punished and, uh, but you know, how are you punished? Well, you know, like it could be anything. It could be you're reminded of what you did, which is um, not a real healthy way to do things because you're planning, you know, guilt and shame in somebody, uh, even though what, what you did may be obvious or what you did wrong may be obvious. Um, you know, the, the constant reminder paralyzes us and keeps us from moving forward. And so it's not that you're letting somebody off the hook for what they did wrong, but only grace can change the heart. So explain, okay, so you grew up in Alabama. Alabama. Okay. And you grew up in a house where it was justice. It was justice. So if, if you, and this is important because, you know, a lot of us dads are just thrown into this mix, like everybody, mom mm-hmm. and dad, and you just kind of figure it out and you kind of do what you, what you saw maybe. So, Explain the justice piece just a little bit more. So, so give, if there's an example or something, because some of us might not even know if we're doing it this way, you know, like reminding our kid that they did something stupid two weeks ago. Well, when I was five years old, I, I broke a crystal champagne goblet, um, obviously that did not belong to me. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and I don't even know that, that my mom intentionally did it, but you know, there was this constant reminder of remember when, mm. and, um, you know, it, it can kind of laugh about it now, but you know, when you're a kid and you're reminded of something that you did, but I think that's the system that she grew up in. And so it's not like that's something she intentionally thought I'm going to do this. I think it was just a more of a matter of, you know, that's a way of making you aware of something you did wrong. But when you repetitively do it, you are sticking something on your kid. That's not easily going to come off because so how, let me ask this, how as a kid or anybody do you redeem yourself if you did something and the only way out is justice? Is there a way? No. There's no way. So you always carry the burden then. Yep. You can't. You're never free from it because you're constantly reminded of it. Um, so then flip-flop to a grace-filled situation. How do you discipline or um, create some kind of consequence for that and then move on? Yeah. Uh, you know, I... I think that discipline has gotten a bad, a bad rap. Um, but you know, discipline that is intended to harm isn't, isn't good discipline or isn't discipline discipline that is to make us aware and to help us to think 
through some of the choices we're going to make. If I do this, if I play this out, where is this going to end? Right. And so, um, you know, grace gives us a chance to redirect, instruct, discipline. But we also, at the end of the day, remind them, no matter what you've done, I'm still going to love you. It's not to to attach shame or guilt to them. It's to make them aware that, you know what, you're better than that. You have more possibilities. Don't limit yourself and don't don't let it, you know, uh, somebody that makes a, an error in a baseball game, you don't want them thinking about it for the whole seven innings. You mm. want them to be have the ability to go, okay, I, I blew that one, but I'm going to get another so chance. So it's almost like in both those scenarios, the glass breaking and the baseball analogy – the consequence was a natural consequence. You don't really have to give another consequence. Nope. The discipline is almost teaching discipline, right? Mm-hmm. Here's why this happened. And so that would be a grace-filled way for both the sports and the kid yeah. breaking the glass is I think a lot of times we want to give a consequence because there should, but a lot of times there's already a natural consequence. We might not need to give another so discipline is teaching how to be a disciplined person yeah. and see what happened to know how you can learn from that. Yeah, I mean, I was in a room messing with something that I had been told repeatedly not to not to be in nor to do. And I decided that I was above that. And uh, so sometimes it's just being aware, you know, do the right thing, be in the right place. And not that bad things can't happen, but, uh, you know... You, my dad used to say all the time, nothing good's going to happen after midnight with you out, yeah. <laughs> out running the streets. And you know what? He was right. Um, uh, so, you know, he didn't have to punish me anymore for that or, you know, because that always set with me as I, I broke something of great value because I was where I shouldn't have been. Right. And so it's almost like if they would have just said, it's not like I see, I told you so, but it's almost like, okay. Let's play out the timeline. This is what happens. This yeah. is why we didn't say this other thing. Hey, it's just a glass. Mm-hmm. We love you. But we, you yeah. know, clearly we both wish it didn't happen. I just think it's good for dads to kind of think those things through. Because, I mean, shoot, you work all day. You come home. A lot of times <clears throat> mama might have, okay, you got to discipline this kid or that kid. So we're coming in with consequence on the mind. When if I evaluate some of the situations, the kid might have already had a consequence. So, you know, it's just finding that because you don't want to go so strict where you're like, it's all justice and the kid feels like crap all the time and you don't want to sweep everything. Oh, it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah, that's right. You know, so it's you. It's really an art of finding that in the middle with your kid. Yeah. And I mean, think about how many families, uh, you know, for whatever reason, it was uh, wait till your dad gets home. Yeah. I mean, you probably not really all the way always aware but you're making that kid fear their father coming home because what's he going to do to me and that almost sets up this this terror because if he does come home and the and the punishment's severe you don't want your dad to start coming home you, you'd mm. rather him stay at work and that's a a deterrent to good fatherhood i mean don't let's don't make you know, our kids afraid that dad's going to come home. Hey, we want dad to come home. We want him to come home and love us. And even if it's a tough conversation. Right. So dad could still come home and see, because I think the dad should still come home and play a part in depending on yeah. what the situation that's is. Right. And that's not all on mom. So then what would be a good, what would be a way that dad should come in and handle that then? Well, I think 
what no matter what age the kid is treating them like a person not a possession not you know not in the old roman way uh but you know and also talk to them on their level you know i'm six four 280 pounds and if i stand up over my kids and they think i'm angry then all they see is this giant of a man right but if i get down on the floor and hold them and look them in the eye and talk in a calm way i can tell them whatever i want to tell them and they'll hear me as opposed to being terrified of what i'm going to do so since you grew up in a justice-filled home was it hard for you to transition into I want to do this differently with my own kids. Yeah, like I said, I mean, I had great parents. I mean, you know, that's just the system they grew up in. But I never doubted that my parents loved us. But because it was this reminder, you know, you're reminded yeah. of what you did wrong. Right. Um, and and it took me a long time because I didn't understand what grace was until I experienced it. And when, when you experience grace, you really don't know what to do because you still want to try to earn earn forgiveness or work your way back in. But that's like a lot of the American mindset too, is really to earn. I mean, depending on who you're talking to, but as men, I think we want to earn our way. Yeah. We we want to measure up. We want to show that we're valuable and we can do whatever. And, um, and and I think that that's a a kind of a, a, a bad thing about the way people see grace is that, you know, there's, there's gotta be a catch to it, but, you know, I mean, grace is what changes the heart. And then it allows you to love your kids and and have a humility about you when you talk to or discipline or handle rough news. And so, you know, through the years, you know, grace has had more and more and more importance to me, not just for my spiritual well-being, but particularly with my kids. Yeah. So. How did you learn grace? Who? Um not being somebody that cared anything about church or, or God in college and getting married and making a horrible decision to uh, drink too much one night and end up in the wrong bed and then to go and, and you know, you look the woman that loves you the most in the eye and tell her you cheated on her uh, and realizing that that relationship is probably over with only to be met with, if God can forgive me, I can forgive you. Um you know, you don't know what to do with that because you've never heard that. You've yeah. heard, you know, you what you did is devastating. You're a horrible person. Get out. That's kind of where you think that it's going to roll. And then you you not only get grace from her in that moment, but now 28 years later, she's just never screamed at me, yelled at me, cussed me, called me a horrible person, nothing. Never reminded you of she's it. She's just loved me through it. And, you know, so... You know, not only did she give me grace, she really taught me what grace looked like. And so... How long had you been married? Uh, be 28 years more in March. No, when that happened. Oh, <laughs> months. And so... And you were... So you were going through some stuff too, though. I mean, right? So how how old were you at this time? Uh, 22. 22. You had an injury and you were playing sports? Yeah. Uh, yeah. At that point, I had had uh, four orthopedic surgeries to put my knees back together because you were playing football yeah playing football and then um and you know finals and just went out and drank too much and ended up in a bad place and then as a dude do you think we almost want to punish ourselves like regardless of if you grew up in the justice mindset 
do you feel like as a dude, you want to be like, all right, I made a huge mistake. So I need to live in pain for some amount of time to punish myself. And so then to experience the grace, it's almost like even that's cut off from you. So you're like in this place of like, oh my gosh, I don't deserve any of this and I don't know what to do with it. Yeah, I told her that it would have been easier for me if she'd have hit me and cussed me and kicked me out. It would have that would have been easier. Right. I would have expected that. I would have I deserved that. I should have gotten that. But when you have somebody that loves you in spite of yourself, what do you do with that? So how do you take that as a dude and not abuse that? Like there was something in it that triggered you to go, Oh my gosh, this changes me versus uh cool, I'm going to become an abusive person. Yeah, I mean, there was no doubt I loved my wife. I just had so much stuff in me that I'd never dealt with. You know, you you don't know how to deal with that at that point. But grace redirected everything about how I saw myself and huh. how I saw my relationship. I, I mean, every day I woke up and I knew it was a, it was a gift that she was still there, and that I was still laying in bed next to her, and that that totally transformed. It transformed me. It may not transform everybody, but it transformed me about how I even saw my relationship. So, when we did have kids. You know, you can only go back and think, man, I received grace. How am I going to give grace, but not make it okay that my kids went and, you know, you know, did this thing, but also make sure they know that I'm for them and not against them. And so, you know, there are a lot of, there are a lot of lessons to, to live out in that because now there's a responsibility. I, I was given grace freely. So now I got to give it away. Yeah. And so particularly See, with my that's, kids. Yeah. I mean, that's beautiful because sometimes we get a gift and we just use it for ourselves. So to get a gift and realize that if I'm given a gift, it's really for me to be giving gifts to other people. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. And and I grew up with five brothers. And so a lot of our first foster kids and even the first adopted ones were females. And I hadn't spent a lot of time, you know, I didn't have sisters. And so I learned real quickly that there was a different layer of grace having daughters. Mm. And so, How so? What do you mean? Well, because I didn't understand. I didn't understand the mood swings. I, didn't, I oh, wasn't yeah. around all the, and, you know, they would get into horrible fights with each other. And, you know, I'd want to go up and, you know, be louder than they were and, and just settle the argument. But I, I was creating the chaos because, you know, they was already yelling and now I'm, I'm adding to it. And so, you know, I had to learn from my wife even how to, how to deal with it. So, and that was humbling. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. All right. So the podcast is fatherhood field notes mm-hmm. and clearly we, you know, we're, we're opening up your soul, your field notes a bit, a little bit from life so that you could share it with other men who are listening, other dads, um, who have found themselves on the adventure of fatherhood. Mm-hmm. The hope is that we take these conversations and one, we realize we're not alone. We realize like our own thoughts that we're not just the only guy who's <clears throat> figuring out life regularly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that we can leave encouraged and feel bonded together. Um, the mantra really is rebel and create. And that to me can mean a lot of things. But to rebel against something, because each of us are fighters. We want to fight. We want to mm-hmm. go to mm-hmm. war. And so to fight against something, but not just to be rebellious and tear something down, but to then build something out of it. So it could be rebelling against being on my phone at dinner time. It could be rebelling against looking at something I know I shouldn't, you know, it could be rebelling against a lot of mm-hmm. things and then creating something out of that. So what's something that you are 
either currently or kind of a lifelong rebelling against and what do you hope to create out of that? Well, I think the thing, one of the things that's hit me um, over the last year and then uh, Thanksgiving, I, I read, you know, read the Rebel and Create and um, it fascinated me um, because it's always frustrated me on an airplane when the you know, person comes on and says, Hey, if, you know, we lose cabin pressure, this mass is going to drop down, put yours on first and then take care of your kid. And I thought that's the dumbest thing ever. I'm going to get my kids safe. And yet the more I've worked through that, I realize, you know, if I don't take good care of myself, if I don't keep my soul at peace, if I don't keep my mind clear of junk, if I don't de- process all the stuff that's messed with me that day i'm going to come in i'm going to inflict harm on my kids because i haven't taken care of myself and so uh you know i think the biggest thing that you know just thinking through that question was i'm going to rebel against this idea that uh, i'm going to put my kids uh, so far ahead of me that i'm going to i'm going to parent them out of my unhealthiness Mm. um you know jesus said you know you love your neighbor as yourself well then we have to have a healthy love for ourselves soul care and so the the better we take care of our soul care and our mental state the better we can parent because if i bring all the junk home they're going to get the very worst part of me and so um and i think that there's that we've been kind of pushed in that direction you know uh, you know, you, you need to give your kids everything. You need to give them everything you didn't have. You need to, and I think we've we've kind of lost sight of that. We if we don't take good care of ourselves, we we can't take care of that kid, and then that kid's going to be left to figure it out on their own. There's not going to be good conversation. We're going to jump in the middle of an argument at home, or there's punishment to be, and we're going to do it from a place of unhealth. And so you've had kids in your world for 25 years plus. Yeah. What are a couple of ways that you haven't taken care of yourself that you would advise people to be aware of? Oh, um, I, I traveled too much. Um, I, so what I like about what you're saying, so not to cut you off, but you travel too much. And the position that you're saying is not, I traveled too much because I missed out on time with my kids, but I traveled too much where I affected my own personal yeah. mental well being, to where then I didn't bring my best home for my family. I would come home from those trips exhausted and mentally, emotionally, physically. Um, and, you know, a lot of times it was flying from one coast to the other. Yeah. And when you're that tired and then, you know, your wife's not getting the best of you, your kids aren't getting the best of you. And I lived so out of my own rhythm, which wasn't healthy, that there wasn't a whole lot to give to my kids. And, mm. you know, so the first couple of years of, you know, particularly with the kids we had adopted, you know, they're coming with their own stuff and I'm complicating it because I'm so emotionally and mentally tired that I don't know how to hear them out at that point. I don't know how to meet them where they are. And so, you know, that whole not taking care of myself in in a proper way kept me from really meeting and understanding them. Now, I got better at it as I you know, as I went and started talking to people of how do I do this? So is there a practical thing that you learned to help you with that? Um, Give my wife right a refusal to my calendar. Anything that I was going to schedule, she had the right to refuse it. So what if your job has to do with traveling? Um, Then I started, you know, like I I talked about earlier, I I started taking a or two kids with me. 
And so that gave me time. And instead of going off and totally plugging into all these other people that I'm going to leave in a couple of days, I've got a kid or two kids with me that I get a chance to interact with and hear what they're thinking. And what do you think about this? And how'd this session go? And yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. And so it opened the door for some, what I'm going to call more adult type conversations, even with young teenage girls that were my yeah. daughters. But you know, that also opened some lines of communications that were pretty phenomenal. Wow. That's awesome. That's awesome because as you know, I think when we start talking about take care of our health, our health, our health, our culture right now is really into, I, I would say, fitness and food, which I think are a big aspect. But sometimes I think we could almost focus on those too much mm-hmm. compared to our mental health. Yeah. And I know I've heard you talking about mental health more regularly, um, which I think like there's a stigma with that sometimes. There's a huge stigma with people with mental illness or, you know, I, I don't have, you know, some condition of, you know, mental illness, but I recognize that I have been so exhausted that mentally I can be in a fog and that that's not healthy, not only for my own life, but for my kids, my family, my wife, my ministry, my anything. So how do people be aware of that? Like, what do you do? Because, you know, I think it's on one hand, you got the people who are like, oh, my life's so hard. It's so busy. I'm such a victim. So then those of us who are also like, man, I really am tired and I really am in a fog and I really am not meeting needs mentally. We don't even want to say anything because we don't want to get put in this other bucket. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I guess we should just have grace for those people so that they'll have grace for us. But any suggestions for the dad who is just burning it at both ends and is just going after it, you know, maybe creating some rhythm in their life? Don't be too prideful not to go find somebody to talk to. Uh, you know, I was blessed, uh, you know, mm. I, the church that I pastored previously, um, I was blessed to have a, a licensed MFT three doors down from me in the offices. And uh, every week I would go check in with him. And he was gracious to let me do that. But I realized this is something every staff person needs to do. So we were... You know, it wasn't quote unquote mandatory, but, you know, we encouraged every staff person, you need to pick a day and it doesn't matter if you just go talk about what you ate for lunch. You you need to go in there and open the door for a potential of why you mentally are fatigued, why you're physically fatigued, why you're on edge, why you're fearful and just learn how to be open and vulnerable. Yeah. It's wild how much just talking to somebody can actually help. Oh, it's, it's crazy. It's like crazy. verbally getting it out. And I get it. Like as a dude, sometimes you feel like you can't tell your boss because you don't want them to know you're struggling because you don't want them to whatever, fire you or think mm-hmm. that, you know, you're not going to perform. Can't share certain things with your kids. You might not feel like you can share everything with your wife if you're, you know, I don't know, depends on the marriage. Like you yeah. should be fully open. But I know, I know for marriage counseling has been huge for us. And I think the more we kind of talk about that stuff, um, and I've had a few guys on the podcast who have talked about going to counseling mm-hmm. and just how beneficial it has been. Um, and I, I mean, like I meet a mentor once a month and I tell that dude everything, yeah. you know, and yeah. he's, he's ahead of me in life and able to speak into my life. I trust him. So having those relationships is key. Um, and you're teaching your kids that it's okay to go talk to people. You're, you're, you're breaking a mold for generations. People thought, man, don't let anybody know you got problems. Don't let and we tell our kids when we go to marriage counseling, because we 
we want to be open about it with them because sometimes even if like we fought a few times and kids automatically re- automatic reaction in our culture is like, oh, are you going to get divorced? It's just so sad that that's what they think. Yeah. But you go, no, you, we, we allow you to see some of our arguments and disagreements because we want you to know what real marriage is like. Oh. If we hide it from you all the time, then you're going to go into your marriages and be <laughs> blindsided realizing what it's really like. Um, so we f- have felt that sharing with them you know, that, Hey, Oh yeah, we went to counseling today is beneficial because we educate them on why. Yep. And they don't live with the thought that if just because you disagree, you gotta, you gotta run from each other. Right. And because we all disagree. Right. And so you teach it more of a healthy, a healthy balance. And so, uh, my kids were actually on a weekend, my teenage daughters, uh, that I was asked to share my story. They actually learned my story at 13 and 14 years of age and uh which wasn't easy for them yeah um, but did they talk to you about it they did uh, after we had flown home we were driving from the airport and i could tell they were whispering about something and but it opened the door and um you know that to me as painful as that was i don't ever want them to think well you never told us any of that mm-hmm. i mean there would have been a point in which we would have had that conversation anyway uh but they also learn vulnerability and you know be honest about what what's going on and that grace changes people yeah and so that's good i mean that's a good age too you know because it's like not too far where they're 18 19 20 feeling like why do you never feel like you were lying and then 10 is probably a little young so that's that's cool so okay so you're 50 and you said that you are still paying attention to that that um, rebelling against not taking care of yourself. Mm-hmm. That's what kind of stemmed yep. this conversation. So was there a point where you really started learning that? Or do you feel like that's been this lifelong journey of learning it? I would say probably in the last 12, 13 years, I've paid more attention to it. Um, back about, a little, I guess it's been right around Right around 13 years ago, I, I, my chest was hurting so bad. And what they found out was I had inflammation along the lining of my spine. And uh, But I had all these medical people in Birmingham that where I pastored that were medical people. And they thought I was having a heart attack. So they put me on a, a stretcher at the end of service and rushed me to the hospital and did all these tests. And, you know, it wasn't my heart. It wasn't. But it was a pretty valuable lesson that. You know, something caused the insides to become inflamed, whether that was stress, whether that was whatever and or, you know, bad eating, you know, doesn't matter what it was. And that was kind of a a red light to say, hey, you better start taking care of yourself, not just physically, but emotionally and mentally. And so uh, that was kind of the wake up call. So do you think that prior to that, were you like a stubborn, I'm a man, I, I eat meat, I don't need anybody's help? That's right. Exactly. So then how, from that moment, did you become more vulnerable? Because clearly the way you're talking today and the way I've always heard you talk, you know, knowing you a year is from a very vulnerable, open stance and not from this, you know, six foot, whatever, 280 pound. Yeah. I I think that, um, you know, that forced me to realize that I'm not Superman and, um, that, you know, before 
you know, the mind, you nobody even thought about the mind. You, you know, it was all body, you know, what you, what you look like, what you, you know, what you do, how far you can run, all that. Um, but that was kind of the wake up call that, you know, it's really holistic. It's mind, body, spirit. And I want my kids to be healthy, mind, body, and spirit wise too. And they need to see me focusing on all three. And so that, that was a big deal. So you've mentioned it twice. You're a pastor. That's what you do for your living. Um, before this incident, you were more the stronger leader. Not, I, and I, don't, I say stronger in the sense like not actually stronger. How were your relationships when you shifted? So it sounds like you shifted to more of a vulnerable, open mm-hmm. man after this incident. Yep. How did your relationships with your family and your wife change? Well, it sent me to deal with anger because a lot of my mess was was anger driven, um, angry at being injured, angry at you know just a, a lot of you know dreams that weren't ever going to be able to happen because of injuries, um, and so it it uh, it sent me on a journey to go and to begin seeking help. Now it took quite a number of years to to get to the. Was point. that hard to do? Like you're a lead pastor, you're a pastor of a church. Yep. So you're supposed to be the guy who's got it all figured out. Yep. How was that? How was that to go? I don't really. Well, you know, in the early days, you know, that's 27, 28 years ago, you know, people would say, you know, leadership would say, don't, don't ever tell that story. Don't, don't ever acknowledge that ever happened. And yet you, you can't help people. You can't help yourself. You can't help kids. You can't help anybody. When you're not helping yourself. That's right. And being honest. You got to be honest. And, and it's amazing how God takes those things and it become the greatest teacher, the greatest, you know, you're somebody that understands what people are going through. Right. Right. Now you're a real person. It's not this like faux unattainable human. So then I just feel like crap because I'm never going to never really going to live up to that. So owning your stuff lets people know that you're real and that it's not this faith isn't about being perfect. It's about grace and about relationship yeah. and you can only have that by being a person. Yeah. I mean, it has totally changed. I mean, you know, I have three 13 year old boys and a, and a six year old still in the home girl, <laughs> and it has totally changed everything. You know, I, I coach them in their sports at times and our relationship has drastically changed because I have learned to treat them like I want to be treated and to honor them, to cut up with them, to, you know, everything doesn't have to be punishment, it, you know, or discipline. Sometimes it's just a conversation of, Hey, we're, we're, we're better than that. And yeah. And so, so it sounds like, it sounds like your relationship with your wife and your kids became deeper and better once you became more of an open, vulnerable, in tune with yourself man. Yeah, because I'm not hiding things. I'm not rolling things in my head that's wrecking me. I am, you know, having good conversations. I'm in two accountability groups, self-imposed, because, you know, I've got, you know, nine men that know everything that's going on in me in two different groups. So how does a dude get to that place without having the heart attack scare or whatever that was, you know, like so much of the time we, we as dudes think we're Superman. Um, is there something that we could do to just today go, Hey, you know what? 
I don't have to hold this all in. I don't have to carry this all myself. This isn't what makes me a man. You know, I, when I talk to high school athletes, you know, they that want to play college ball, I say, where, where do you want to be in five years? And, and they'll tell me. And I'm like, okay, what, what is it going to take you to get there? Well, look in the mirror and ask yourself, where do I want to be? Yeah. Where do I want my kids to be? Where do I want my relationship with my kids and my wife to be? And then track that out. What's got to happen for you to get there, for them to get there? And it won't be be more secretive. It'll mm. be be more vulnerable, be more kind, be more communicative, take more days off to do things with them, meet them where they are, talk on their level. You know, I don't understand TikTok and all that, and that's my, my boys love it. But you know what? I've got to learn what TikTok is. I've got to learn and, and be yeah. able to cut up with them about their world so that they see me as not just somebody that cares for them, but I'm, I'm trustworthy. They, I'm, I'm understanding their point of view. And so it's changed. I mean, literally everything has changed in our life, you know, and I would say for the better, even though it's been hard because I can default to selfishness with the best of them. Yeah. But that's not what I want for my life nor my kid's life. So I think that's really cool to hear because I think sometimes we tell ourselves, okay, when I do this, then everything will be, it's like, no, life is this like, constant movement of, of regularly, daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, being in tune with yourself, pausing and reflecting and continually looking in the mirror and going, this is where I want to be. Okay. I need to shift this. I need to tweak that. But then at the same time, have grace for yourself to just like go and enjoy your life. Mm -hmm. It's not about tomorrow. It's not about all the stuff from yesterday. I'm going to, I got to be here, me today, you know, and then, you know, I guess reflect on yesterday and, and plan for tomorrow, but then have grace and be in tune with yourself today. Yeah. And I think that like fits into, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the, the field notes, you know, having a mantra that you start the day with, mm -hmm. you know, you, some, sometimes we just need to tell ourselves, you know what, I'm a bad dude and bad being good. You know, I'm, I'm loved. I'm, I'm cared for. And yeah. we just got to remind ourselves because the world's going to go at us with everything it's got to knock us backwards. And if you want to be that dad that you've been called to be, you got to know who you are. And sometimes it's, it's self-talk. Yeah, it is. You know, in the in the um, the fatherhood legacy journal that I just put out, one of the first things you do in it is you write yourself a morning mantra. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I don't read it to myself every day, but most days if I jump on the bike or I, you know, I'm starting my workout or whatever, it's just like a paragraph. And it reminds me like, dude, you're a hero to your kids. Uh, you chase your wife, you love your wife, mm -hmm. you know, it just reminds you, oh, that's the dude, you know, because if I just wake up tired thinking about all the crap I got to do today, yeah. I just am like, okay, here I go. Instead of going, wait a second, know who you are, bro. Yeah, that's important. And to start the day knowing who you are yeah. is, is huge. So, yeah. I, you know, I love that. Uh, matter of fact, I, I think you actually put that on video on uh, maybe YouTube about yeah. how to use it. Yeah. And so... Um, I think that that's it. That's huge. To, to, yeah. Sometimes we, we got to look ourselves in the eye and tell us, tell ourselves who we are. Yeah. Oh yeah. We have to for sure. So that was the, the rebel question. And clearly through our conversation, we talked about like what you hope to create out of that is just deeper relationships. And that comes from being an open and honest person. Yeah. Um, you know, when I, my boys look at me, they, they could look at me as I'm, I'm distant, I'm whatever, you know, they can see me how they see me, but when you intentionally meet them where they are 
and you intentionally listen and you give care and sometimes you surprise them you know they'll they'll ask for things that I'm thinking there is no way in the world I'm buying you that and then I think you know what they have no thought that I would ever get them that and it's not like I'm just going to buy their love but sometimes it's just doing the unexpected mm. so they are reminded man he he met me where I am he he saw it my way and that's wow. a really been that's and I learned that from my wife and so uh, you know I don't take credit for that being an original thought with me but you know she's right if I can meet them where they are it it draws them deeper into our relationship yeah I love the two things you just said one meet them where they are and then two just sometimes do the unexpected thing you know, like I'm the guy who's never going to buy my kids sodas is at In-N-Out or whatever. You know what I mean? And so sometimes just letting them know, oh, I'm a person and I'm thinking about what you're thinking about and not just, oh, this is how dad always does it. This is what dad always does. Be willing to do the unexpected and how, I mean, we want to be spontaneous, yeah. but for whatever reason, and maybe it's just me, but I find myself not being spontaneous, just kind of sticking to the way I do things. Yeah. Because it takes us out of our routine and disrupts our schedule. But you know, I, I think it's the world they live in. And so that's really good. And I love that look of surprise on their, you know, on their faces and um, you know, for them to think, you know, like my boys wanted phones, you know, that everybody's got a phone. And uh, so we traveled for Christmas. And so they were dreading Christmas because they're thinking, you know, we're traveling first of all, so we're not going to get anything or we're not going to get what we want. Right. And we had their phones delivered to my parents' house uh, in South Alabama. And, you know, so Christmas morning they had this huge, you know, but it, it sent a message to them that we, you know, we we're listening to you. Mm. We know, and we're willing to trust you with this. And so, and giving them chance to succeed. Yeah. So, um, it, it was pretty pretty cool for the to see their reactions and the gratitude they had that we would go to that link to get them something. Yeah, wow, that's really cool. I love that. I love that you said they realize that we're listening to them, and I think that's a question I challenge myself and other dads. Like, are you listening to your kids? Like, do you know what they're thinking? Do you know what they're saying? Or are you always just having the answer? Like, sometimes the best thing we can do is just shut up and listen. Mm-hmm. When we were talking before we started, you made a comment about your wife saying a prayer over you. Oh. What was that? She uh she she confessed about five years ago she had been praying this prayer over me for all of our marriage that I would choose love over justice, having mm. grown up in a justice system. And and nothing wrong with, you know, wanting things to be right and just, but love and grace have life transforming power where justice doesn't justice says you should you don't you're bad yeah love and grace say even that you didn't do what you were supposed to do i'm going to love you through it and so uh and you know there's this shift that began happening in my life and so one day she came and sat down and said hey i just want to tell you about this prayer i've been praying in my prayer journal for you for all these years and uh that was you know, I mean, it was pretty amazing and it was pretty emotional when you realize that you're watching this change happen that you didn't set in motion yourself, mm. that your wife loved you enough and knew the impact if, if that happened, what it would do for our kids. Sounds like you have a pretty uh, amazing wife. She is pretty remarkable. 
far above my uh, my ability to understand. So, and it's you know, she, she wants me to love her well. She wants me to love our kids well. And when I do that, she sees our kids flourish. So clearly, I mean, it takes two people. So mm-hmm. how have you loved your wife well? You've been married twenty eight years, and and um, that's that's a gift. And so for you know, I've been married half that fifteen years. So how do how do you love your wife well through life, messy life? We uh, we talk about everything. We have no secrets. You know, even when I blew it, I came home and was honest. Mm, yeah, that's true. She yeah. has, uh, you know, she has access to my computer, my phone, my anything. Anything she wants to look at, she can. I don't delete stuff. She can look through. She gets every calendar entry. She has the right to refuse it and reject me meeting with anybody going wherever. And it's not a, well, I can't believe you turned that down. It's a respect of you have loved me more than anybody. You want me to be healthy and so, and I try to give her space and time to go and do what she needs to, for her to be healthy as well as contributing to that myself. So you're in tune with what she needs. Cause I mean, yes. you travel, you're doing your thing. Uh, she's at home with eight kids or during the course of the last 28 years, more than that. Mm-hmm. So you've been aware of like, she needs time to do to herself. Yes, yeah, she'll go. I'll, I'll watch the kids. I'll clear the schedule and she'll go travel whether it's friends or go see her family uh, back in Tennessee and or it's to go see my mom and dad my mom and dad live on the coast and uh, she loves the beach and how often does she go do that uh, she'll do it a couple times a year and so and then you know she'll go with friends you know for weekends and she has a group of ladies she's intimately close with and they do a lot together and so you know, we, we balance each other's schedule so that we can get away. I think it's really critical for dudes, especially to be aware. I think moms can get really caught up in, uh, their whole world as the kids and the managing that and their identity gets in that, which is great. Like praise God for moms. Moms mm-hmm. are killer. We wouldn't be anywhere without them, but to be in tune with that, to say like, no, you need to go away. Uh, for a weekend and not like get out of here, but here's a gift, go do something to help them go get to be themselves a little mm-hmm. bit, you know, get out of that routine. So I think as a dude, if you could be aware of that and yeah, bring in flowers home and taking her on a date, all that stuff's cool, but sending her away. I did that for Sarah last January. So that was a year ago. Um, and she's done some stuff since then, but that was a very intentional, Hey, I want to send you off to go just have three, four days by yourself to go do what you want. Cause that's what would give her life is mm-hmm. to go be by herself and just hang out and go explore. Um, so yeah. So you saying that just made me think, dude, that's something that a great gift to give your wife. And the kids notice they, they know mom needs time away and we're not bringing in, you know, cousin Eddie to, you know, to watch them. I mean, I'm there with them and that's good for them. And it's good it for you too. Them. Yeah. They rely on me and, and then you're all reminded of, oh my gosh, mom does way more than we realize. <laughs> We're not going to make it. We're not going to survive without mom. Yeah. And so, but yeah, we, you know. And then an hour before she gets home, clean everything up. Everything. <laughs> and throw everything in the garbage. And uh, I mean, we do, you know, the kids, the kids buy into that mom needs to be healthy. And, um, you know, I do a good bit of the cooking, but I love to cook. And nice. that gives her a break. And so, you know, we, we have learned in the last 28 years, you know, how to, how to navigate life pretty well. That's good. Not perfect, but pretty well. Well, um, we're coming close to to ending, and I feel like you and I could just talk for hours. So 
as we end this up, is there anything like any last stories or any thoughts around fatherhood or foster care or adopting eight kids or anything that you go, man, if dads are listening, this is something that I'd like to, to kind of leave here in this conversation. Well, the, the one that just flashed to mind, I, I have a, a son that's now 22 and he got married last year. Um, three years ago, he, you know, he, he'd get into these vehicles. He'd buy vehicles that can't be registered. They can't be smogged. And, and I would tell him, don't drive it. You, you, and so I get a call one afternoon and he has had a wreck in a unlicensed, unregistered vehicle with no insurance. He's about a mile from the house and um, I'm watching the kids. He's on the way home because I had a meeting that I had to be at and my wife was out of town. And so um, he calls me because he's late and he says, Dad, I had a wreck and I passed somebody on a double yellow line. And I, I mean, just like anger instantly. And uh, he, he, he was just a mile from the house. And so I told him I'd be right there. And I told the boys, watch your sister. I'll be back in just a minute. And I go out to my car and I am just furious. I'm oh, thinking, yeah, I, I told you, I mean, this is going to, I mean, this is bad. And so I am so angry and I, I get the words, you know, out, you know, why won't he listen to me? and just angry and God just showed me this picture of what I'd put my wife through 27 years before. And I, I mean, you know, you can tell me I'm crazy or whatever, but I heard the words when you needed grace, I gave it to you. Your kid needs grace. And I mean, I just started weeping just and so I'm, I'm in the car and I drive up and I see the situation and he is terrified and I roll the window down. We get out, we're talking and the people come over and, you know, they're making this thing. And I said, Chance, it's OK. We're going to work it out. Don't worry about it. And I saw that he was all right. I had some friends that were there that they lived close by and they were and they were getting everything done. I said, I have got to get to this meeting, but I'm just going to take, you know, the siblings with me and. I get home and I'm just a wreck. I'm just a wreck. And my wife calls me and said that Chance had called her and said, Mom, I don't know who that was that came to this wreck, but it wasn't my dad. And that was a horrible reality Mm. of what he was expecting. He was expecting justice. And what he got was grace, but only because God reminded me that I got grace. And so sometimes the best thing we can do is think back to our worst day hmm. and let go of justice and give our kids grace because we, you never know what that's going to do for them. You just never know. And that was a marker in my life. That, that's wow. a benchmark in my life that I will never forget that in a moment when I wanted to be angry, I felt entitled to be angry. God reminded me it's only grace. It's only grace. And so I, I would encourage any father with any kids, you know, sometimes you're going to, you're going to feel justified in, in having that anger and you're going to, you're going to go after it. Don't, don't do it. Wow. Let grace win the day. Man, that is, I don't know what to say. It's so good. If we could just live our life just with that one story as a reminder and then, and then think of like, what do our kids expect when mm. I show up? Yeah. 
And that's a heavy thought on its own to go like, who do my kids think that I am? And they think of who I am, not based on what I've said to them my whole lives, my whole life, but what I've shown them. So remembering that to, to live each day with who you want them to know that you are. Mm -hmm. And if you're not, then realizing it. Never too late. Never too late. Ah, and see, that's the thing too, that, you know, I've got kids seven to 13 right now. My, I'm, I'm still going to be a dad when they're 30, 40, 50 years old. You know, I'm still their dad. It's going to be different, but I think it's good for us to realize this isn't some 18 year gig. This is a lifelong fatherhood is lifelong. And then grandfather. I mean, I was talking to a grandfather the other day, like the impact, the opportunity that grandfathers have to, to, to speak life into their grandkids. That's heavy. And that's something nobody's, we're talking, not talking about fatherhood. Nobody's talking about grandfathers and the gift they have. Um, man, that, thank you for sharing your life. Thank you for sharing your stories. So good. I'm encouraged. I feel, uh, I just feel more connected. Like being a father is amazing. Mm-hmm. The gift we have to bring life into this earth through our daily actions is just so incredible. Um, and our role really matters. So thank you for sharing with us so that we could learn and grow from you. And, uh, keep being that incredible father who is teachable even in your position that's what i love is you're a pastor and you're sitting here like i'm still growing i'm still teachable i still own my stuff i'm still a human and and i hope to be better five years from now than i am today just like you're saying from you know dude that's incredible so keep being the husband father leader and teacher that you are i really appreciate you good to be here where are you talking thank you Wow, what another amazing conversation around fatherhood. I really felt humbled sitting, talking with Pastor Craig and his persona, the way that he talks about his family, the way that he is open about his life, the way he's vulnerable to share. Here's his mistakes. Here's his his faults. And here's how he's continuing to grow, continuing to self-reflect so that he can be the best version of himself, not for his own glory, but so that he can love people better, whether it's just some random person who comes across his path or children that are placed in his home or his wife. Ah, it's really, really good. And I just so value that and want to be that type of man and father and husband myself. So I encourage you guys to go out and really live humbly, live not for yourself, but for those around you really realize and understand that you have been given a gift as a role, as a father. And it's not about you and me. It's not about the glory of ourselves, but it's about the gift we have to bring life through our words and our actions with our families and that we would be in tune, not with just what I want or what we want, but what is best for our family. How do we love them well? so incredible. I just want to thank you dads out there listening to Rebel and Create's Fatherhood Field Notes podcast. What you guys do, it really matters. Don't be like everybody else. Be yourself. That's who your kids, your spouse, and your community needs. This is your guide, Ned Shout. Together, let's rebel against the view that fatherhood has little impact and create lives engaged in the craft of fatherhood. And as always, please share this with somebody if you found value in it or write a review. It helps spread the word that fatherhood matters.